I think being that close to nature really tumbles your soul like a, like a washing machine. guys welcome back to the podcast you're listening to let it out with me i'm your host katie dalebout it's been a minute since i've recorded an intro and that we've chatted we were on a bit of a break and now we're back this is the season premiere if you will i love this podcast i'm so happy that i started it in 2013 and here we are nearly 300 episodes i'm starting to forget all the the people i've had on and then i'll I'll see their book or I'll see them around and be like, oh my God, yeah, I interviewed you when I was 22. It's become this really cool, interesting thing. But today's episode is with John Morrow. He's great. He's an artist. He's worked with Jason Mraz and Madonna on, on album art and merchandise. And he has a book called The Keeper of Color. And I met him through a previous podcast guest, Josh Radner. Maybe you've listened to that episode. If you haven't, you should. I'll link to it in the show notes. We talk about curiosity and creativity in this episode. We talk about surrender and nature and heartbreak and being a person in the world. It's it's lovely. It was a really nice, fun conversation. I recorded this a couple months ago in the dead of winter. John came over to my apartment. It was great. We went and got dinner with Josh after, and we actually went and got foot massages at this place on my street. And it's so funny, I learned something because John and I were next to each other and he was needing to have less pressure and I was okay. And John told me after, he was like, yeah, it's a thing actually. Women can have a higher pain tolerance. So they need more pressure in massages and men actually can't sustain as much pressure. And my friend who's a massage therapist told me the same thing. Anyway, just a fascinating nugget. Let's get to this conversation. I'll talk to you after for some likes and learns. And I'm really excited about this season of the podcast. Lots of great guests coming up. I did many live episodes. I was just in Austin, which was so cool to meet podcast listeners there who have been listening for a while or some that just found the podcast. And it's really cool. We've made a cool community here. And it means so much to me that you're listening. It really, really does. If this resonates with you at all and you've been listening for any amount of time, I'm so, so grateful. So here's my conversation with John. I'll talk to you at the end. Have you guys tried my favorite snack yet, Emmy's Organics? You really should. They're delicious and they're perfect to satisfy a sweet tooth. They're these simple little cookies. They're these round, I guess, cookies, but they're... They're cookies that are not made with any artificial ingredients, no preservatives, no natural flavors. Everything's organic and lovely. They use coconut and almond flour, gluten-free, vegan, paleo, grain-free, soy-free, great for on the go. They're great with a cup of coffee or as a little dessert. I put them in my 
bag and I have them at all times just in case I need one. Carolina, my friend, puts them in her kids' lunch. You can go to emmysorganics.com and get 40% off your first order when you enter the code LETITOUT at checkout. Again, that's 40% off your first order. That's almost half off, and that's a lot of presents off, and I think you guys would really like this product. You can also find them at Whole Foods, at many, many places. I love the founders of this company. They're so wonderful to work with. We even had them at a recent event and they were hit. So check them out. I love them so much. Thank you so much, Emmys. I love you and I'm so glad that you exist. I have a new obsession, you guys. It's my Vertruvi diffuser. It's this beautifully crafted stone diffuser that doubles as decor. It's stunningly simple. It has this matte finish. It's ceramic. I have the black one, but I hear the white one's the best seller. And this company, Vertruvi, is really cool. They create essential oil products that help you live a more naturally and sophisticated life. <laughs> and honestly, it just really elevates my mood to have these oils diffusing in my room. There are blends that you can have in the morning that that trigger waking up and being energized and then blends that you can put in in the evening that tell your body to wind down and relax. It's something intentional to do. If you haven't played around with having a diffuser or having essential oils, this is the time to start. And I really think that the aesthetic of this diffuser is lovely because it's something you see in your house. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, I really like that it's not plastic, that it's really beautiful. It's a great alternative to a candle and scents really make a space intentional and beautiful. And this is a non-toxic alternative that can be more sustainable. And this company's great. They make their essential oils 100% pure and they allow you to have these kind of 10 second spa moments. You know what I mean? They give you this simple way to carve out a quick moment of wellness for yourself in the middle of the day and I just I really love it so if you want to check them out highly recommend it at vertruvi.com you'll get 20% off with the code let it out so vertruvi 20% off with the code let it out I love them so much and I really think you guys will too you've always been a creative person and you wrote that you learned to channel your curiosity into creativity and you were always inspired by nature. And I think that's really interesting because I think curiosity is creativity. I think Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that in Big Magic of replacing when you say, I don't have a creative bone in my body. If you replace that too, I don't have a curious bone in my body. That would be like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, I, mean, I, grew, I grew up in Vermont and so the rural bucolic lakes and rivers. And I was always searching for frogs and toads and turtles and under ferns and these little realms of enchantment. I never personally had like a, I wasn't into necessarily fairies or dwarves or elves as much as, but I can understand that realm. But I was really into where do the salamanders live? What are they in? These little microscopic worlds that felt like the forest was a diorama, a living diorama itself. And so my curiosity has always been peaked. And so you could say nature really was my first God or my first, you know, my first spiritual teacher. And even the Bible says, you know, in the beginning was, and then they, they begin to describe the natural world, you know, as a portal of like, that was the original Bible. There's a great teacher named Richard Rohr. And he always, he talks about the original Bible being nature. And so 
I love him too. And he's, um, he's been formative. He's I'm actually in his, enrolled in his living school right now. But nature as a, I think it's just so wise. I mean, the four seasons and each one is marvelous and humbling and like annoying and has its own quirks <laughs> and like perfect medicine. And it really tumbles your soul like a, like a washing machine. And so, yeah, I think being that close to nature, really Boston and Montreal were the two closest cities for me. And when I would come to New York, for instance, I would be overwhelmed. I'd be like, what is happening here? I'm like, why are things moving so fast? And people are honking. And I, I would look around and be you know, surrounded by concrete and skyscrapers and not even see a mountain or, or any kind of nature. And it, it, it intimidated me. But the natural world and fallen curiosity, you could find pockets of, I would say, equally creative souls. And it's just, it's led me to find fellow seekers and philosophers and artists and musicians. And that's who I surround myself with. It's people who remind me of those realms. Because I think that when we forget about that other realms, dimensions exist, then we're literally sort of stuck with a version of like, this is it. And I can get real bored real quickly and, and this is it. So imagination, curiosity, creativity have always been a way for me to access higher realms, but not necessarily even divine realms as much as just other, you know, realities. And I've found since being an artist that it's one of my great duties to bring those to life. And I have a skill that enables me to do that, whether it's from drawing or bringing a film or a video or an idea to to life. And it's so fulfilling to be able to do that. As a man, I can't give actual birth, but to be able to you know, toil over a project or a drawing or a, or a book for months, years at a time, it changes me and I'm forever grateful. And it teaches me every step of the way if I'm present and aware and engaged in the process. Yeah. So you are the oldest of two brothers. Mm-hmm. Are they creative and artistic like you? And you, are your parents, were they, do they have creative careers? My two younger brothers are also highly creative. They're both, the middle one is, he has like the sort of the the holy trinity. He's definitely a poet, a writer, a musician, and an artist, a visual artist all in one. He's wow. he's he's quite phenomenal. And then my youngest brother was a, is, you know, still a musician, but he's, he was like, um, I forget exactly, I'm probably going to flub this up, but he was selected as like an all-American saxophone player, baritone saxophone player, like jazz. He just has a rhythm to that. And my parents, no, not necessarily. They were creative in their own ways. My dad was very blue collar, you know, worked his whole life at a factory um, and responsible. But I think that lineage of the family, there was creativity. If you could seek it out, people were finding ways for it, but it was never like overtly expressed. You know, my grandmother on my dad's side would always do drawings and little watercolors as like a hobby. It was very Mm -hmm. like sort of sidebar and my oldest cousin also uh, a total artist and avant-garde in so many ways so it's there but I think it really kind of came out in me and my brothers when did you know you wanted to go to art school so this is a really awesome story perfect Mm -hmm. podcast worthy okay so I almost didn't graduate high school because I didn't have enough art credit totally like ironically enough my my high school I took a um I think it was called creative structure, which was basically pottery that a lot of kids were just making like bongs and things, you know, in, in, <laughs> totally. in there. And every um, high school has a class like that. And we had uh, tempera painting, you know, and it was like it was so I was so unequipped in that way. And I ended up taking a between my junior and senior year, there was a nature course in the summer, and my 
mom was like, you're not going to stay inside. I mean, I had a job, but you're not going to stay inside all summer. Go, you know, we're going to do something. And I found this little mentor who just had us draw nature and make leaf and flower prints. And it was incredible. I go out and, and, and be there. And she really became a, a total mentor. I'm still, I'm still in touch with her. And so I got a portfolio together, like through that, and then ended up taking a independent study, you know, through the course, through the, through my school, the last semester of my senior year to be able to graduate. But what happened was I ended up applying to colleges, universities that had good art programs. And then I had, this is sort of this, one of those divine interventions where I was such a, like, goody two shoes growing up never got never got in trouble never went to the principal's office and one day in the middle of you know the school well jonathan morrow please report to the office and i like froze in my chair i was like what I, I immediately thought one of my family members is in trouble like why else would i get called because i didn't do anything wrong i was right. like oh no what do i have to go down it's like where is the office i don't even know where the office is how do i get there and I walked down, and it's embarrassing, you know, like you get your name on the loudspeaker kind oh, of call, totally, and I was yeah. like, oh, total social anxiety. So I walked down. It's like, you know, your name gets called with the people who have to be in like detention or like, you know, the all of that. Club. Totally, exactly. And I, I go down there. I was like, oh, I'm Jonathan Morrow. Um, you know, you called me down. And they're like, mm, oh, this came for you. And it was a catalog to what became my art school. And I, to this day- Is that a thing that they send them to high school? I have no idea. And to this day, I still, the only thing logically, like logically that makes yeah. sense is I would have checked interest in art on my PSATs. You know, like that's the only thing that I could have, that could even- Weird. Yeah, so weird, but so perfect. Yeah. And as I'm paging through it, you know, they, they make it like a J. Crew catalog or something. You know, it's like <laughs> no. this is like a, oh, this is amazing. I want to see myself in that in that like, yeah, total I remember lifestyle getting shot. A couple of those, yeah. And I I was like oh yeah. And then my, most most of all, so I fell you in love with the dorm this look very luxurious and huge. It's like, <laughs> like, it's like yeah, one hotel of those, um, five star. Yeah, exactly. And I was just, I went to school in Baltimore. I went to Maryland Institute College of Art, known as MICA. And um, even the design of the whole catalog, mm -hmm. it was just so this is amazing. And I remember there was this one painting in there and that's where i was like i want to go to this school so i can learn how to paint like this oh, cool. okay so there's this one painting this this is a total crazy story so i go to art school loved it it was like uh just finding my tribe you know mm -hmm. every people came from all walks of life backgrounds races religions but we all had art in common so there was this unspoken you know respect for everyone that no matter where you came from you had different skills and it was it was um i just felt so familial and uh just encouraging to be around people studying their that's own yeah. soul and and craft that's like higher education as it at its best <laughs> for sure and really had to learn kind of the hard way that like there was, there was some teachers who actually came down from the New York art world and taught there. I think Baltimore is only about a three-hour train ride. But it's such an interesting thing when you're getting graded for art, you know, like such a subjective, you know, field. And I remember my freshman year, I got two C's. And I was like, like, here I am going to school. Like, if this is the only thing I think I'm relatively good at, I'm getting C's. Like, what does that mean? But I had this feminist, modernist, minimalist teacher. And I'm like this Vermont sort of folk arty type, you know, uh, artist. And she just wasn't having it by any means. And I was, it was so strange to me. Like, I have to like form my art to please her rather right. than my own heart. It was a really like, you know, real hard lesson learned. And so I, you know, I, I played that game, but then I transferred out of her course and found, you know, I just found teachers who ultimately, some I still stay in touch with, who just drew out 
my own dharma or my own technique or my own like calling. And you could tell that they were like night and day difference. Other people had their own techniques, even phenomenal techniques that they sort of made sure that I'm going to teach you how to draw like this and you needed to practice those skills. You know, we had a foundation year there, which was awesome. You had to do, you had to do a little bit of everything. You had to take a drawing class, a painting class, a sculpture class. They gave you like a sort of a, a buffet of different things that you just had to take to kind of help you before you picked your major. So I ended up majoring in illustration and I graduated in 2000. So got there in 96. And I remember that's when I got my very first email address, right? Was 96 freshman year. And by the time, so 96 to 2000 was literally like when the digital era like ushered in. And so we had on campus, my freshman year, we had one, building with a computer lab like one floor was a computer lab and by the time I left we had a whole building dedicated to like oh, computers okay. and so it was so fast and I really watched illustration as a major almost die while I was there wow. you know like stock photography digital illustration everything was kind of coming in yeah. then so it was a really weird time to be at art school I relate to that too because I studied journalism and I was in J school from like 2008 to 2012 and it was kind of the same thing of broadcast changing and is journalism dead, but it's just changing. And it's a complicated time to be studying something that people don't really know how to teach anymore. And also like, what world am I going to enter outside right. of this? You know, I'm totally. kind of like, I'm all in on illustration right. here. And, to, and what am I going to be on the outside of Right. It? Like I couldn't study podcasting because it didn't exist then. Totally. So anyways, so I, so I loved it. And then I, and then I did a, um, a one-year digital master's program. And I, I, after school, I, I took an internship at this place called Firaxis Games, which is a video game company. And a lot of people from my school went there and it was this, you know, fantastic company. I was doing digital graphics and I met this guy named Ryan who had graduated maybe about five years before me. And so he kind of took me under his wing and I, he was my like mentor, like, you know, getting me in the, into the game industry. We just became best of friends. We'd go work out and eventually we ended up becoming roommates. And as we're moving in, I go, like we're kind of moving the bookshelf and he had... <gasps> He had the catalog, which I hadn't seen in four years. I'm like, this is amazing. How about this? I, I, can't, I haven't seen this catalog. This is what made me go to art school. Let me show you this painting. I go to the painting, and it was him. He was the one who painted it. So cool. So cool. And then he just gifted it to me. It was a portrait of his oh. friend, Joel. Joel happened to um, go get married. And evidently, his wife is also minimalist and didn't want the painting in the house. So he gave it back to Ryan, and then I got the painting. So I have it in my... Have That's my house. so cool. As a total reminder of like the universe has yeah. got my back oh, for I sure. I love stuff like that. I yeah. love stuff like that. That's so, my room is filled. I'll tell you stories of things after that. But yeah. Wow. That's so fun. I thought you were going to say that the feminist art teacher actually made that painting. <laughs> I like this ending better. Way better. Ryan. Ryan Murray. Wow. Cool. So since then, you've had this robust art career. You've done album covers and merchandise for Jason Mraz and Dave Matthews and Madonna and Maroon 5 and Counting Crows. And you did the movie poster I saw for our friend Josh's movie, which I love. Happy Thank You More, please. How did you get into, have you always been into music and, and art outside of just visual art? Yeah. How did you get into working with, did you know that that's where you wanted your illustrations to go? I have always loved music. That's not true. I I went to my first ever concert. I actually didn't even get into music till senior year. Actually, after graduating from high school, mm -hmm. my good friend who drove us to school every day was a huge Dave Matthews fan, and so my friend that he my friend and I that he picked up, we got him tickets 
to go see it. They were kind of coming around and that's when they were kind of in their heyday. And I fell absolutely in love. I was like, Dave became, I was a little Dave head and Dave became my grateful dad. I followed him around kind of everywhere for about probably five, six years. And yeah, I felt like as an illustrator, you're taught to turn text into image. And so hearing lyrics that really spoke to my own seeking and discovery, they evoked imagery in my yeah. mind. So that's how it was. An, so it was an easy fit to create album covers and merchandise was I'm, I'm seeing these songs, how they're represented. Let me put that to, to imagery yeah. and posters. And, Are you um, synesthetic? Like you can see, you can hear color and that sort of thing? I can't hear color as much as I just, I think I have a really active third eye mm -hmm. is how, how I would say that. But interestingly enough, even more recently, like my book and large, so I think single images come from my third eye. I can see those really clearly, but larger stories and narratives and things that are bigger than just a single thing seem to be kind of coming up from my soul. Mm. And it's, it's a very, they're coming from a different place, like the depths of me rather than a, I can't necessarily see them in a flash. And that's harder for me. It's a new, it's a new form of excavating that I'm, that I'm getting used to. But I, I found Jason Mraz, who was a, uh, he actually, at the time I got Rolling Stone magazine, I was like a big into singer songwriters in that whole, probably same time. Uh, yeah, 2000, early 2000s, like Jack Johnson, John Mayer, yeah. Nora, Nora Jones, like yeah, I loved all Howie that. Day. It was like when like, I was in high school. It yeah. was like the best, you know, yeah. and I just would go to concerts all the time and just would buy, be buying CDs left and right, everything. I was like, could actually keep up with, keep up with it. And then, um, Jason kind of went to a big to a Dave show when he was playing in the Gorge out in Washington, and sort of uh, there was a makeshift makeshift stage in the parking lot, and Jason just played a couple songs. And Dave was kind yeah. of going around; they were filming a DVD. He's like, "What's going on over here? Let me go steal this guy's guitar." And so he went up on stage, stole Jason's guitar, played a couple songs, and then there's this picture in the Rolling Stone of Jason, like I said, Dave's new fave. And I was talking wow. about Jason. I was like, huh, who's this? If Dave likes him. I checked him out. And it was like on the tail end of the Napster days. Uh -huh. So I could still, like, you could kind of get his music. He was only playing coffee shops. But I fell in love with his music and just emailed him some designs of mine. I was like, and then like, his email was, yeah, his email was still on his website. And we became friends through, like, this collaboration. And then his song took off. And I kind of got to, like. The hang, Remedy? Yeah, The Remedy took, yeah. came on. And I, and then I um, took off with him, you know, and became, like, his resident artist and merch designer oh, and all that so and cool. we're still he's one of my best friends he's a dear dear inspiration and friend to me and all through i think we have such a you know he's someone whose music is saying the same thing my art is mm -hmm. we're painting we're pointing to the same yeah. thing through different mediums you know can i tell you a jason rast please Okay, so that first album, I was in eighth grade, and my swim coach, I like, I was not good at swimming, but my mom just like basically needed a place for me to like go for childcare. And he was like a college kid who was like very into Dave Matthews and played this Jason Mraz album. And I was like, this is so cool. I love this. And my mom, he came through our college town, maybe like a year later or something. And he was playing a concert and we got to go and we had these tickets. And I don't know if you remember this, but for the remedy, he would have three people come on stage and sing with him. And he took a Polaroid with them. And I knew, I think I'd like heard on the internet or from a friend who also saw his concert that this was going to happen. And I knew all the words of the remedy. And I was like there, I was, you know, in all the plays, I like really wanted to be the person he chose. And so I still have this memory of going to this concert, being so excited 
not getting chosen for the remedy and then like sulking the rest of the concert, uh-huh. which was such a lesson of like, why couldn't I have just been present yeah, yeah. the rest of the time? But whenever I think of him and that album, I think of like my regret of what was I doing? Why was I so silly? But anyway, that's very cool. And so lovely that you're, you're still in touch and that yeah. to have those creative collaborations that just fit like a glove is so great. And is that kind of what led you? Was he the impetus to these other people you collaborated with? Yeah. So <laughs> the second client I ever had was Madonna. And just because they had the same merchandise person, I think it was almost like a, I forget what exactly it was back then, but the same merchandise sort of producing them. Uh, it was almost like they had record labels back then for merchandise. I forget mm-hmm. what exactly it was called, Merch Line or something. But they reached out to me because Jason's merchandise designs were selling so well. They reached out to me for Madonna. And um, I did some things for her. And then Jason was actually touring with Maroon 5 as well. And so I got to do things for them. And um, I kind of went from there. And then Dave Matthews, you know, so so I, I found, that's another reason why I reached out to you is <laughs> I found like cold calling has been one of like the best ways I've actually gotten my foot in the door, you know, where I just reached out to Jason, Dave Matthews. I had a friend who was going, who was actually working security at a concert. And so I was like, can you see if you can give this to the merchandise manager? And he did. And they emailed me back and it was there. So I've never been afraid to kind of just go for it. Same. I've had Mm -hmm. to do that with podcasting quite a bit. And I think if it's genuine and you're like, your work is meaningful to me, here's how, like, you're not really asking for anything. You know, you want to help someone, you want to give something. Like, I want to give someone a platform. They have to give me an hour of their time. But I think, I don't know. I think if it's genuine, usually it's okay. I think so too. And like, what's the worst, right? Like, you've heard that thing. What's the worst thing is a no where you're exactly where you are now. Or a no response. Yeah, or like a no, not right now or something. So, yeah, persistence, patience, and a healthy amounts of like, why not? Like, yeah. you know, kind of intrepidness has always gotten me to some great places. Yeah. Yeah. So then you, re- most recently, you wrote your book, which I really want to hear about the process, The Keepers of Color. I left it upstate because I took it. Did I tell you I went I was went upstate for a week and I took it with me and it was like the perfect mm-hmm. companion for my kind of week and solitude. And I want to hear about how you got the idea, what the process was like. Okay, great. So I wrote a children's book and I have a friend named Zena. She was, um, she was sort of, in, you know, she was like in the kind of like secondary circles of other friends that we sort of knew. I, I've met her a few times where we weren't close. And I had another friend who was going to spend like a little ladies weekend with her. Mm-hmm. And so I um, sent this little children's book and little one sheet with her to sort of give to Zena. She was, she was, she had the, Zena had the, at the time had the, um, the spiritual imprint of, of Simon and Schuster. And so Zena kind of got back to me and she's like, listen, this is a great, I love this children's book. We don't do children's books. She goes, but I love your art. If you could get me a, a coloring book, I get you like a book deal tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, okay. And so I wrote a proposal for that. I had an idea for a hero's journey coloring book, like really walking people through the process. And then she gave me some a little more feedback, which was great. And then I got a book deal. And it was amazing and like incredibly easy. And I know that that that's not how it's going to go for a lot of people, but it really, it came, I let the, the art led, which led me, led me to that. But then I was a deer in headlights because I was like, okay, the hero's journey is like seven to 11, seven to 15 steps. If mm-hmm. you look at it, I'm like, how am I going to fill a whole book, you know, with this? Isn't so, it interesting? Like the proposal is such a beast to do and then you do it and then you get the book deal and you're like, 
oh my God, cool, this is what I wanted. But then it's like, I remember just being like, I have to live my life and do the other things like for work and I have to write this now. And it just being so overwhelmed by where to start. It's a monumental task. Not only the physical task, but even to just scour your soul for, for and plumb the depths of yourself to see, you know, there's this great quote. Do you know the book, The Great Work of Your Life Mm. by Stephen Cope? That is one of my favorite books. And he talks about like the dharma of a writer is, okay, this book has its own dharma. And so you can either go one of two ways, like write the book that you want to write in your head, which will kind of go its own way, but it's going to be sort of from your ego or from like your own like version. It's probably not going to do that well. Or you can write the the book that wants to be told through you. And he goes, but if you do that, good luck, because it's going to take everything you have, you know? And so it did. It it, it terrified me. It, I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I did actually have the the probably necessary wisdom to I took myself on a year-long artist retreat to actually write it. I had a f- dear friend who said, you know, has a guest house. And I was like, can I come down here? He was like, come on down. This is great. And it was, and it was outside of the city. It was, in, it was in an avocado orchard. <laughs> and I, I just got sat down and got to work. And, you know, I still had to do other work and freelancing and things like that. But I, I gave it my, like, you have the most of my attention. Yeah. Fueled and, by and healthy s- fats. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so how the book came to me was, there's this little character in it called, his name is Color. And this little character, he's adorable. He's like a little shamanic minion. That's how (laughs) I would would describe him. A little Sherpa through your soul. He's so on your side. And he came, this little character came to me and said, hi, I'm Color. I live inside of you. You could say I'm a pigment of your imagination, is what he said. (laughs) And then he goes, I have such an embarrassing confession. You promise you won't be mad? Okay, here it goes. I lost your dream. Your calling, your purpose, your mission in life. I lost it. I was supposed to be looking after it, make sure it didn't wander off or fly away, but I got distracted by the drama and the busyness of the life you really weren't living. And then when I looked back up, it was gone. But the good news is it's still inside of you. All we have to do is go looking for it. And when I when that came through, I was like, I've got the book. And I just followed that thread. And so I knew I had this little guide that was going to guide me through the book and guide others. And from there, I was able to take I love just Jungian archetypes. I was able to take these archetypes. So there's a there's a badger. These are all, I would say, Disney-like characters that are the keepers that help you find aspects of yourself to bring forth. And so there's a dolphin who is the keeper of the color blue. He sort of swims in the in the depths of your soul and helps you listen to that first call, even if it's just a whisper. And then the, there's a hummingbird who's all about joy and enthusiasm, a turtle who's um, helps you practice patience and just slowing down and getting present, a bee who's all about pollinating gratitude, a badger who's like your seeker, and each of them, each of them, and so on and so on, a lion who's a, who's a courageous warrior. They just help you access these parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. So by the end of it, you have a full-color, full-spectrum team of characters championing your your dreams you know and to call upon sometimes i need to be really brave right now let me call upon leo the the lion sometimes i need to do a little investigation and sort of look at this a little deeper and not be afraid to dig or look at my own shadow so honor the badger will help you and each of them has a a what i'm calling a keepsake but it's like a talisman an object that signifies that exact work so the the badger has a lantern to help you kind of go in and so this in the coloring aspect it it appears like a little tarot card Mm -hmm. where you get to color in and they have a cool little mythology that goes along with it 
So that's the coloring aspect. And then there's, on the left page, there's instructions and journaling questions, journaling prompts to, yeah. to just guide you through, like, what's going on inside of you right now? What's, what's And you really become your own personal trainer through this. And But you have a hand-holding with it yeah. the whole time. So because I know looking in, and even the word psychology, which I don't use in the book, or spirituality, can be sort of off-putting for some people. Mm-hmm. And this is really like psychology or looking within 101. It's a kindergarten version to help you feel safe. Almost like in yoga class where warrior one or like the simplest poses are never not hard or never it's a beginner's yeah. mind type of place. So I wanted to make sure that the most devout spiritual student could feel comfortable there as well as the beginner. Yeah. And I feel like the book is at least my best attempt at that. It's so cool. It's funny. My my book is similar, kind of a quest. And it's funny. I think you almost said this, or you did say this, but the on my proposal, my book is called Let It Out. And it said the title is much longer, but it got chopped. And I'm happy. But it was called Everything You Need Is Already Inside You. You Just Have to Let It Out. Mm. And it's the same sort of thing of like, getting to these pockets of your mind that are kind of dusty and unexplored. I give you prompts and questions to go there. And it's very similar to your book in that way of guiding you to the places that you maybe don't want to go or haven't looked at or wouldn't go on your own. That's, I say it's often like free therapy or, um, you know, solo therapy or therapy you can do on your own. And it's just like talking to a good friend or, you know, doing art with a, with a good friend and you have have that guide. So I think we, our books are really, if people like my book, they're likely going to like your book and probably need another one now because it's been a minute since my came out, but with the book being out and having gone through the experience of writing it, has anything surprised you by people's reactions to it? I had someone reach out over Instagram who that was the most surprising thing where she said, we had this little dialogue where um, she lives with a heart condition. Mm. And so her heart will stop um, mostly when she sleeps at night. And there's been a lot of times. And so she's, she's kind of having these near death experiences. She goes through bouts of it, not sometimes every night, but sometimes, you know, just random times. And so when she goes to bed every night, she never knows if she's going to have it or not. And she's like this real trusting thing, but she's getting kind of initiated in between the world is what it sounds like. And she just asked me, she says, have you, did you write this book from a near death experience? And I'm like, no, I've, I haven't had that. I've, I've personally have done or had a chapter in my life where I did a lot of plant medicine. And so I have peered behind the veil in, in, in that realm and have a heavy meditation practice and just have always had a, an incredibly active imagination. So I just let her know that. But she said that the book helped her so much because it felt like someone else had seen those things, you know, someone else had seen those worlds and that it was going to be okay on the other side and every step through it. So that was really, that was remarkable. Yeah. The other big things I've taught these at, a, my friend kind of dubbed it a, an inner children's book, which I think is fantastic. So I've taught it at Waldorf schools, a couple of Waldorf schools, oh, cool. it, but it really is for kids and adults. I think the journaling questions are a little more for mature audience, but the coloring and the myth that gets sort of woven in is totally all ages. So a lot of parents have told me that they've loved going through it with their kids and doing it and actually asking the kids the question and seeing it for them. So it's been a phenomenal way to bridge the gap between adult and child. And I think that that's actually, when people ask, what's the, what's the age audience? I would say 
probably YA in the same way Harry Potter is yeah. because little kids can love it and kind of grow into it. YA loves it and adults can kind of look back and say, I just love what it's pointing yeah, to because sure. the larger metaphors that it's speaking to is totally yeah. all ages. And so is, so is, so is my book. Yeah. yeah. So cool. You're a creative person doing a lot of things, wearing a lot of different hats. How do you stay organized so when inspiration hits you, you can do something about it? What were your writing routines for this? What are your morning and evening routines now? Tell me everything. Awesome. Rituals, rituals and rites of passage. I almost every day write for an hour and- Like morning pages? I used to do that, but it's more like I, I, so right now I'm actually working on with my dear friend Blair Wojcik. I'm going to give her a little shout out to Blair underscore Rose on Instagram because she is a poet and she's the one who actually edited my book. She's a dear friend and she's a spoken word poet and just a brilliant wordsmith and really gets, gets this. And so we're actually working on creating the TV show version of my book. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's a, that's what's kind of coming through. Oh, I can cool. never, yeah. So I think I can see it being episodic and really wanting to show the inner and outer worlds and what's sort of being worked out collectively outside here. You know, what would the, so I had this idea of like, I mean, I'm not, I'm single. I don't have a, at, at this moment, I don't have any, I'm not married. I don't have any kids, but sometimes the world is like, what would I even tell? Does it even make sense to bring a child into this world? And what would I tell them to how to like navigate, to find the light and the wonder and the, and the curiosity. And so I feel like the keepers would make sense of that, you know, as an inner world, as an imagination world, they, they could make sense of all the things my logical mind can't. And so to be able to show that, and the more I've kind of got into psychology and union psychology specifically, the more I want to have that an image speaks a thousand words. So have as many images and art really point to what the feeling of the wild times are, you know, and also point the way towards it's okay. You know, it's going to, here's the wonderful horizons of it's going to work out. Yeah. So I always write for about an hour a day just to work on a project and I, I've just gotten that inner guidance of like write every day. Um, writing is definitely my second language. And so it's hard for me sometimes. It takes long, but I, when I'm in a groove, I, I love it. So are you writing for a project or for yourself? Mostly for projects, but it's the same thing for me. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, sometimes I need to, like my meditation practice is the, like, that's the, okay, these are the things that are up for me. What's going on? What are the things I'm kind of working out? I'll do, I have a contemplative practice. And so I'm always just doing a kind of inner scan of, the places I'm out of integrity, the places I'm in alignment, the places I just need tending to. But the writing is a way to just honor the muse every day. And then I constantly have notebooks that I'm writing a zillion different ideas. And Instagram is a great way, always saving things for like a Pinterest board that lives in my the, my cloud of imagination. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think creativity is the way that I channel everything. So I want to, my big opus that I'm always working on continuously, but in the back, steadily on the back burner is a film. That's that's the big thing I want to leave the world with is a giant film. I keep describing it as, what if the Sistine Chapel came to life? Oh my gosh. What would that cool. look like? So, yeah. and and yeah, um, but I'm getting clearer and clearer because I've always described myself as an artist, which I, which I am, but more than like traditional artists, I've always resonated with the Walt Disney's, the Jim Henson's, the Shel yeah. Silverstein's, the Tim Burton's, you know, the Dr. Seuss's of the J.K. Rowling's that have created worlds and be able to like bring them into this reality. That's, I love bringing worlds to life. Mm-hmm. And so 
I want to have a production studio at some point and, and learn all that. And I feel like that's my big, crazy, wild dream that I'm, um, I don't know how yet, but I'm committed to making happen. That's what you'll be talking about to me on the podcast next time. Yep. Very cool. Exactly. Well, well, to be continued yes. on that. What are the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning and the last three things you do before you go to sleep? First two things are I sit. I do my sitting practice then. Depends on what I'm kind of feeling. Usually I'll either read. I always do a little studying or reading. So whether it's, usually it's philosophy or I'm taking two different courses right now. I'm taking a year-long entrepreneurial autonomy course. So we have a lot of reading for that. And then I'm taking Richard Rohr's uh, Living School. So we have a lot of sort of mysticism, you know, books to read on that. So I'll read and then usually take that into my meditation as like the, as like the appetizer or the, you know, to kind of, to sort of stew on. Stew on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I'll sit for minimum 20 minutes, but sometimes an hour if I really like need a good, if I need a good Mm -hmm. leveling. And then, so that's kind of all, that's sort of, I would say is kind of packed into one. Then I make my tea, morning green tea, and then right right for an hour. And so sometimes I don't even turn my phone on until like 11 a.m. And then around noon to one is when I'll get on email and do my work, do the work that I need to do. And then what about winding down at the end of the day? What are the... Sometimes about... Well, usually I will run or work out kind of pre-dinner. So I'll do like a five to... Somewhere in the five to seven workout as like, okay, that just... I just sweated out my day, you mm-hmm. know? And then dinner and uh we'll try to have the phone off by phone and computer off by 10 ish i've gotten way better i used to be like a honestly two three four in the morning person i was just a night owl and i've had to really train my i think i just got adrenal fatigue like nobody's business and really had it was just a i loved working in the night hours because i knew nobody needed anything of me you know during that nine to five there's always a client or someone but i had a free runway of like this is my time. Like Goonies, this is my time yeah. down here, you know? So the evening, usually finish up any kind of last things. Sometimes I'll read and sometimes I just, um, I'll sit again. Sometimes I'll do another little 20-minute meditation, but usually no screens. And what I have been doing, if I have an actual visual art project that's not on the computer, I'll do that before bed because that just chills me out with no screen time. Yeah, that so. makes sense. So I heard you say on another podcast that you went through a tough breakup and you wrote a book about it. Can you talk about that and what you learned from it? Yeah. Well, let's see. That was a giant, just giant life lesson. I actually don't think I had made, I kind of describe that as like the first mistake I've ever made. I had a, I had an affair. I got, I had an affair with my friends, my friends with my friend's girlfriend at the time. It was this total passionate, undeniable chemistry thing that I, totally fell into and wanted to make that work even after they broke up and we were we were kind of like on and off for two and a half years and it was something that I needed to make sense of afterwards like that like a so I think when I started the book it was more of a long love letter to her and our love of where I I mean it was a 450 page fully illustrated romance novel complete with like the watching art email flirtations start and yeah. well it's kind of like full on like just documented everything like the love letters between us all and everything and i think i was like how's when she ultimately left and didn't choose this i had to be like how can she not choose this and i needed to make sense like how is this not right so when i started 
I thought I was writing this sultry romance, like epic romance novel. And by the time I was done, I realized, oh, actually, I was a jerk who had an affair on my, my friend. Like I committed adultery. And, and that was ultimately all I needed to do was just process it and put it into place and, and create it to bring it to life. But I mean, I even, it was, I got it letterpressed and embossed, like the cover, it looked like an old like fairy tale. But I've seen so much of what I'm capable of, like calling, you know, thinking myself as a nice guy or someone who wouldn't do that to be able to witness the darker side of myself and what I'm capable of and, and fully like right until I saw that, like it it was, you know, my own therapy of, Hey, here I am doing some really dark things that I had masked and told myself were in the name of love or romance. And I'm, you know, so I needed, I needed to do that. So that was, that was a, just a giant process for me. And I, at first I thought I was going to publish it and do all that, but I got really clear, this doesn't honor me, it doesn't honor her, it doesn't honor the relationship, and I wouldn't want to put that in, in the world, or I wouldn't want to contribute to anyone having another affair or adultery, you know? So I ended up burning them, burning the copies I had, and uh, yeah, deleting it all off my off my computer, not for like a, anything other than like, thank you, learned that lesson, you know? And there was only, there's just a few people who had in the world who read it and kind of were my space holders or witnesses of that, you know, but what I really ultimately learned, you know, my friend who, the male friend that I cheated on, we went through a big giant forgiveness thing and he's not a, I wouldn't call him a close friend now, but you know, to be able to have that journey and have someone and, uh, just yeah, humble, humble, humble. It was totally like a, a chink in my armor that I needed and that I'm, that I've always, when I approach all relationships now, know that's there, you know? And I think I can see too, my own insecurities. Like I found myself always for a while attracted to women who had boyfriends. Not like I knew why I'd be like, oh, I'm really into this girl. And then I would find out. It's not like, oh, you have a boyfriend. Now I'm attracted yeah. to you. I would like find afterwards. Right. I'd have, so I don't know if it was a, a confidence thing or just that energy or what they had or what I wanted was the energy of partnership. Mm-hmm. But there was definitely times before this, you know, culmination of affair that I, 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 I was flirtatious or I would kind of play in there and just kind of, I described it as almost putting my arm over the electric fence, you know, but yeah. never kind of like never crossing the boundary. Mm-hmm. And this, this was like full on electrocution mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. And so lesson learned and, um, and like total humble pie served and beyond grateful. Isn't it interesting how cathartic making art about something like you didn't even need to share that art or publish that, but it sounds like it brought you through it. Like you could have done in therapy or you could have done in, in different ways. I've been thinking about that a lot because you're, you're talking to me at this very tender spot in my life. I just had a breakup and it's so emotionally bloody (laughs) and I know I will make art about this, but I'm still so in it. I don't know exactly. And I think I could share it because I think for me, I made a lot of mistakes in the relationship, but I think it could be helpful because people feel this. Like I was just talking to a friend about, she just had a baby and she was like telling me the story of the birth and all that. And she was like, I can't believe more people do this all day long, mm-hmm. every day. And it's so like horrific to have a baby. Birthing, you mean. Birthing, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I recently went through this and I was like, I can't believe that people feel this loss and grief. Yeah. It's so, I've. it's my first time 
feeling this. And so it, when, when I heard you talking about that on that podcast about how you made art about it, I think it's kind of my only way out. And I've been journaling about it and writing about it and things I might publish and thinking about what type of art I want to make about it. I think something different than what I've done, but I can see it's like the thing I don't want to talk about, but I have to talk about. It's an honoring, I think, to do that. And it's a honoring in a way. Well, I would say when you can come full circle and see and you know, take ownership yeah. of the good and the bad, you know, and if you need to, if you, you know, I find, I've just found that art has always been my therapy. Mm-hmm. It can say the things that I didn't even know were in there until I actually like, you know, dug in and, and, yeah. and, and saw that it was layers upon layers. But the, um, yeah, the process was was what was needed, you know? And sometimes I think that's a private thing. Sometimes I think that you can share so others can see it. But I knew it took me to the end of my book to kind of get, oh, yeah, this is, I wasn't going to, like, try to clean it up to sort of then off because mm-hmm. it was such a, I had to see that what I thought was love was that was was a big giant mask for not seeing my own shadow. Mm-hmm. So, but I think I've definitely gone through breakups or my parents' divorce or even my dad's death. Art is how I do like the meteorological, like check in with my soul. Like what's happening here? You know, what do you need? To, what do you need? What's the lay of the land mm-hmm. look like now? And they're each such different landscapes. And um, I've learned to just trust my soul knows, knows how to make metaphor analogy or, or make sense of it in ways that my rational mind can, because you can read all the Instagram like positivity quotes yeah, and they're wonderful, but they're really drops in a much larger ocean. Like, in, in if, and if I really believe like everything's inside of me, let me put up like a big fish. Let me see what's actually, let me be brave enough and kind of be all the things that I give lip service to and see what's there. And then if I really all know if it's going to be helpful for others or not, you mm-hmm. know, and then I'm, absolutely will share if um if i know others can it's a it's a service i think to help others through your own process yeah you have to be discerning over what's like they talk about this a lot of comedians like using the mic as therapy you know like i think it's interesting what you were saying about how when you started it it was kind of a love letter to her and your relationship and i think some of the art that i've been i've been collaging a lot that's Mm -hmm. something i like doing and i think some of that is like a love letter to our relationship and some of the writing I've been doing has been like, like I used to teach yoga and I remember all through college when like a friend would come to my class, I would, I would teach for that person and kind of like forget everyone else in the class, which was not a very loving thing to do. But every time I'd like play a song or teach a move or say a new word, I'd be like, what'd they think of that? What'd they think of that? And I think kind of great gadsbying, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I can see myself doing that with some of my art and some of my my world now of like, what's he going to think of that when he, when he sees this or when he, you know, and I want to make sure that's out of the art uh-huh. before I, before I think about sharing it. Like this, this is, this writing is for me. It's not for him. It might be for an audience, but right now it's just for me. And I think that's when art can be cathartic, you know? And, or put that in. But that exact thing, like be self-aware through what would it be like to make something for him? You know, like call yourself out through the creative process. Yeah. You know, and, sh- and I think that'd be two very different collages. Yeah. You know, for him, like his and hers. 
Yeah. I've been thinking a lot of it. Did you watch the, or did you read the Chris Krause book? I love Dick or watch the version nope. with um, Catherine Hahn did this in Kevin Bacon. There's a TV show that came out last year and it's these, this part, the character who's Chris Krause in the memoir and played by Catherine Hahn writes this, these letters to the character, Dick, who's played by Kevin Bacon. And it's essentially, you know, her obsession and her crush on this person, but it becomes her art. And I think you know, there's this great Ted talk. I forget what it's called, but you've probably seen it and it's, oh, it's old, but they're saying like your dog dies, make it art, you know, mm. you're the Neil Gaiman one. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, his graduation speech, Neil Gaiman had like a make good art yeah. no matter what. Okay. So I'm sure it's probably that yeah. maybe it wasn't a Ted talk, but yeah. I, I, so I, like I knew when this was happening that it like, that's my only way out, but it doesn't make it less, annoying or like yeah. emotionally and bloody is like the thing I keep saying because that's what it feels like. Well, I think, you know, let it out clearly is your, <laughs> it's your healing. Like you already know yeah. what's happening and it's going to change. Like the word, it will change. It'll be what it represents will be different throughout your different decades in you and different, different, yeah. different chapters for sure. And I think that you're just committed to that. And I think that um, ultimately, I mean, it's going to be, it will represent love, which you're so clearly embodying and expressing. But I, I, I think trust yourself to heal the way you know you need to heal. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. That's, that's something I've been thinking about a lot, which I wrote down that I want to talk to you about too, which is surrender. I, I wrote down, get his thoughts on surrender, <laughs> which I want to do. But, but first what you're saying, I think right now is like feeling feelings fully and letting them out. That's why all my stuff is called let it out. Because when I was a kid, my mom would say to me when I was going to throw up or like I needed to like get the snot out of my nose, like you got to let it out, got to let it out. It's the same thing about your yeah. thoughts and emotions. So when thinking about this, I've been reading this book. Did you read Letting Go by Dr. David Hawkins? I think that's what it's called. Every, I think that's a book that um, it's been coming on my radar a few times, like yeah. three people in a row. So I think you might be the third. It's good. So. And I'm not even, I'm like, so it's weird that I'm recommending a book. Yeah. I've read like seven pages of sure. maybe, but it's just kind of so far it's, it's in my mind. And he yeah. talks about feeling feelings, repressing feelings or suppressing feelings. And so how do you feel uncomfortable things? Is it through art or what, what advice do you have for transitions? Like losing a parent and breakups, like what sort of feeling practices do you have? Great question. I am maybe going to be like a forever beginner, but I'm definitely a beginner in this. The work that's been so meaningful to me around this has been Everyman. It's a men's, it's a men group. Everyman. I think it's a podcast I listen to you on. Yeah, there are also <laughs> pod, there are podcasts, but there are there are there are the men's a men's movement, and I go to the retreats and do that work, and nothing more has made me comfortable or let me kind of get into access my feelings more than that work. And I've I've always been someone who's been as a male really scared of like male aggression, you know, like that typical frat boy, like mm -hmm. anger, rage, you know, unchecked, what feels like violence sometimes, that sort of primal, primal rage. And so I think I've suppressed a lot of that, even my own anger. I definitely, that's a thing that I think kind of, I can go zero to 60 in a second, like my, my impatience. And so to be able to check that has been good and just become self-aware of it, right? So grief is a thing that I've, it comes on its own terms. There are times it's like for me, I found that if I, uh, I've only had, I've had one panic attack in my life and that was right after, kind of pretty close after my dad died. And I think there was just so many things where 
it'll find a way out whether you whether you yeah. let it out or not. You yeah. know, so I think let it out is inviting people to be conscious of it and giving them permission to. And I just say that it's going to come out in like a giant explosive volcanic burst yeah. or, you know, of compassion, of tears, of grief, of anger, whether you like it or not. So it's great to just always be seeing what's in there. But art for me is a way to initiate that process. It's a way to kind of, okay, for me, I'm really good. And I think that's why I have so many ideas at following through on them. Mm. I think the muses or whoever they be is like, this guy is yeah. like, he's good. He follows through. He does his homework. Let's give him more, you know, and increasingly bigger and more beautiful projects. Yeah. And so I have never not been like a big emotional moment where a project didn't inspire me. And when I followed it through, it was always the perfect healing I needed. I'll just tell you this children's book that I just wrote and it's kind of getting shopped around right now that happened. It just came through almost instantly after my dad died. It's called small voice, be brave. And it's all about listening to your intuition. So it's this little chickadee, just a bird, a small little, probably, I think it's, you know, we'll say North American bird, small little North American bird who's meant to be like, who's known to be having like a big heart and like really fierce. Like it'll kind of, it doesn't have a sense of its size. It'll kind of chase away other bigger birds and things, but small voice, be brave. And so the setting is a very Vermont-like, you know, country farm um, where a long winding dirt road uh, splits the, the farm in two. And so on one side, there's the home and the, the this small voice in his family, his mom and dad live in a birdhouse and they have a bird feeder and a bird bath. And so they're completely provided for by like the, the human, the human realm. On the other side of the road and the fence is this like rolling meadow and pond and like cattails and sunflowers and food for all four seasons and a barn. And on top of the barn is one of those fake owls, but the family of chickadees doesn't know it's a fake owl. So they tell small voice, you cannot cross the road because this owl will come and kind of scoop you up. And so, but something in his intuition is like this, something's off here. Like there's that owl has never moved. Like what's going on here. So he's always kind of pushing the edge and the story takes place over four seasons in the winter, a kind of clumsy, hungry, big tailed squirrel knocks over the bird feeder. And so they're, Food is gone for winter. And um, he has to go, hey, that's it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go call this owl's bluff. And he crosses the road to be brave and then you know discovers it and brings and shares the reward with all his family. So for whatever reason, pouring myself into that just really helped and kind of looked at like it helped heal my relationship to Vermont and my dad and kind of someone who stayed in the same small town his whole life and to push go beyond even what your parents' limitations. And it was really what I needed without even knowing. And it's so perfectly metaphoric now that I can see it, but I had no idea. So my advice to anyone out there is take care of your inner child when emotions come up because they are, they're feeling it the most, I, I find, you know, and our adult brains can look for those Instagrammable platitudes or the advice from friends, which are wonderful, but they definitely sort of soothe the mind and mindset. But I think that... um art and creativity and inner child doesn't look for sense-making as much as it looks for a way to feel and move through it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I really want that book to give it to my best friend's son because she teaches about intuition and just so great. And secondly, I'm really feeling like what could be most healing for me, the intuition that I'm getting is 
And I remember I, I've been thinking and talking about this on the podcast for years. Like I remember talking about it to Josh when he did the podcast years ago of feeling like a master of none, feeling like I do so many things, but none of them that well. And I feel best when I have some focus, when I'm focusing on one project and I bring it to completion. And for the last year, I've been, I was working full time and doing stuff on the side and now I'm, I have the ability to not do that and to focus. And when I was writing my book, I felt good because that was the one thing I was doing or making my course about podcasting or whatever it was. And I'm, I need that hearing you tell that story. I was like, that's what I need right now. Like it was, it was good to feel my feelings and kind of indulge in the like heartbreak of what I'm feeling. But now I want to pour myself into a singular focus, even if it's tangentially related or not at all related. I think that'll be the most healing thing aha moment yeah i think that i think especially in this very distractible world mm-hmm. focus is a medicine in and of itself yeah. you know concentration and giving something your everything will undoubtedly bring you exactly what you're looking for and much more and i find that like i've been really looking at boredom a lot mm-hmm. and part of what i i know like the shadow side of what i know i create so much is so not to feel nothingness you know like i i yeah. i and i can see if i look at the kind of the world we're living in and the like what i'm definitely judgmentally calling the superfluous things that like you know checkout aisles and just like you know things that are just made for stuff's sake like the story of stuff wise mm-hmm. i think they're made out of boredom at some level you know like just because we can Right, we can make things just because we can, and so not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, 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 I feel like to put your focus on a singular project and see it through comes with like a lifetime of lessons, and especially this level of like accomplishment and knowing you can, which will just cellularly remind you that, okay, I've done this before. I can do this again. And it pays off, you know, but I think we're left with, this is a really, I don't know the other word for like aborted projects, you know, that are just sort of hanging in limbo. Are you going to come back to me or not? You know, like if you start some things and then sort of let them go and not bring them to full completion or even declare them done, they're just like energetically lost souls. And I think they, they take, they take up space and I'll speak for myself. I take up space in my psyche. Mm-hmm. So I've just found that to bring the things to completion, I just feel so good. Mm, it's like, totally. I'm so glad I did that. I mean, you can think about that with like errands. So yes. It's like, I've like halfway do my laundry. I feel a lot worse than if I just like checking, like even just in the space I've been in, things have been so hard that it's like, I did my laundry. I returned that thing I needed to return. I went, I made the doctor's appointment. You know, just like the little things can feel so big when you're in kind of a tender spot. And it's the same thing, I think, now with bigger things like creativity of just navigating that one thing at a time-ness. Do you know Paul Tillich? Paul Tillich Mm. is a theologian and he has this distinction called, we have all these finite concerns. There's the finite concerns and then there's the ultimate concern or the infinite concern. And the one thing we should be most concerned about, we're not putting our attention on. You know, we're putting our attention on all the finite concerns. Distractions. Distractions. And those add up to a life, you know, at the end. And so he really believes that if you can put your attention on whatever version, you know, as a theologian, he calls that God, but spirit, you know, the universe, whatever, if you can, the nature, if you can put your attention on that as the primary thing, everything else will get done and they'll take place 
contextually in that larger concern, you know, so they won't be as pressing and anxiety inducing. Right. That's the thing is why they're anxiety inducing is because they're finite, you know, even our own lives, we know we're going to die. It's limited. Yeah. Right. And when we think about, oh, what are we going to get done? But if we really believe in whether it's, you know, future lives or, or, you know, other incarnations or just in something or trusting in something larger that it's handling it more than our taxes and social security numbers and like, you know, the bottom lines, we can like relax into a spaciousness that just shifts everything for us. And so creativity is one of my ways of putting my attention on the, the infinite concern. Well, it sounds like that's surrendering. That takes a level of surrendering. So what are your because I've been thinking about that a lot of like having an addictive personality of like turning to my coping mechanisms, which for me are like control, like food and body and eating disorder stuff. And like the more stressed I am, that comes up. And so surrendering of like, I am powerless and, you know, what are you replacing that with something good is really what I've been focusing on. What is, is surrender kind of what you're talking about with this level of focus? I think there's different the different different ways and different kinds of surrender. I do think ultimately, yeah, you want to give it up to personally, give it up to whatever the larger thing is, because mm-hmm. that's where we're going to be kind of offering our life to anyways. A mystery. I call it in my book, God is called the great mystery. And that that term came to me because I do believe it's great and vast and un- and then also a mystery. It's unexplainable. And when I speak to it as the great mystery, it both keeps me curious and also humble like it's a mystery i don't know what it is but it's also incredible and like i let i'm I'm in it's got me like i am Mm -hmm. you know i'm yours mystery so i do want to surrender my life to that and surrender my life to just something larger than a finite concern you know that's actually if i'm looking back if i can kind of fast forward to my deathbed i want to be able to say i lived a meaningful life and that looks different probably for everyone, but for me, that looks like focusing on my heart and focusing on art and focusing on being kind and compassionate and courageous and all the the the, the virtuous qualities I can. And that's all I've got at the end of the day. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, what else, what else, what else can I do? So, but I do believe when I look at the world, I don't see a lot of like scientists trying to refigure out photosynthesis or make the heart, you know, or make the liver be the heart, you know, or the, or like the stomach be what breathes air. You know, there are certain divine things that are in working order that no one's trying to fix. No need to reinvent the wheel. No need to reinvent the wheel. Like no one's trying to have the planet revolve around the sun in like 600 days rather than 365. There are just things that are in working order. All the things we're trying to solve are man-made problems. And so for me, when I go to, okay, let me even get out of my own way and surrender to whatever good divine graces have me breathing air, you know, and whatever, whoever, whatever invented the nervous system, I'm on that team, you know? Yeah. So let me. Or like figured out how to make a baby. Yeah. (laughs) Or like invented a star. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Acorn into an oak tree. That team. Yeah. That team. I am surrendering to that team. So that's my, that's my larger surrender. And if I ever, catch myself getting too caught up in something so terrestrial, you know, and so I I don't even want to limit, I want to go deeper than terrestrial because terrestrial could be the earth, but I think we've created a world on top of a world and given that agency, far more agency than I think is necessary, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because it almost overshadows, we can forget about this other world that's supporting us at all times. 
Okay, one more thing before we get to the quick fire and we'll take a break sure. and I'll turn the lights on and I also have to go to the bathroom, but one more thing before we take a break. What do you do when you forget essentially that? What do you do when you have a bad day or you get caught in comparison or you don't feel good about yourself for whatever reason? How do you pivot? What are your tools for coming back? Uh, there's a yogi sort of swami Hindu yogi swami named Shivananda who has this great quote that says um we must say steeped in remembrance and i love that so friends are total lifelines i usually have my space i make an altar out of my out of my space just to keep me reminding me of the of the sacred in the other realm so putting things around my living quarters to speak to other realms and dimensions and deities and colorness and just imagination and then breath, breath, meditation, apologizing, acknowledging gratitude. Gratitude is probably like, if I added one, I would say gratitude. Gratitude always brings me back, no matter what. It's the simplest prayer that, um, in, in cafe gratitude, you know cafe gratitude? Love. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really good friends with the owners there. Like the, the original owners are my spiritual parents. Why don't they have parents. in New York? I don't know. I think they're, it's, I think potentially it's on the, on the, on the horizon, but. I learn so much through gratitude and I feel like I, there's always something to be grateful for. Always, always, always. And when I, like I had this insight one time, this may seem so basic, but it was huge. The natural response to thank you is. You're welcome. Exactly. And I felt like, what does someone say when they, you know, like you're welcome in mm. my house, you're welcome yes. into this space of into the spaciousness, into this other realm, like to say thank you to something you greater, greater to than me. Here. Yeah. You deserve to be here. And that's all it takes. Like, gratitude is the key to being welcome. Yeah. You know, and so that that was a huge insight for me. So mm -hmm. gratitude is my number one yeah. key to always getting back. It's interesting. Do you know Mari Andrew, the illustrator, no. writer? You'll, she was just sitting in that chair doing oh, wow. the podcast. She lives in my neighborhood and she talks a lot about breakups in her work. And so we had this really lovely nourishing conversation, but it went to gratitude because we were saying when you're in this tender spot, everything, another friend of mine, we also both have anxiety, <laughs> told me that she calls this heightened emotional state, which mm. she got from her therapist. But essentially when you're in a tender spot, the highs feel really high and the lows feel yeah. really low. And I kind of am like that anyway. And so this is just amplified. But my, someone buying me a cup of coffee is like, you would think that someone like proposed <laughs> or like huh. a friend not texting me back for a second is like someone has died, you know? Yeah. So it's like, everything's kind of disproportional. But she was like, what Mari said was really interesting to me because she was like, it, this tender spot I'm in amplifies gratitude. And I'm so especially grateful when someone's kind to me, when someone takes the time to open a door for me that I'm kind of loving that. And she's like, I've, I'm nostalgic for how mm. open I am during those breakup times. So enjoy it. And I've kind of been like pivoting into, oh, this is kind of nice that I'm in this tender spot and I'm able to see things more clearly with, it's kind of like the veil is, is a little bit thinner now. Well, you know, they say that the wound is where the light gets in. Right. And so I think I'm going to go ahead and just contradict you for a second. Or I'm going to say, let it in too. You yeah. know, like let it out, but also let it in. Yeah. They're kind of like, it's the yin and yang to to exactly your like yeah. lifelong mantra. Yeah. But be able to let, let, 
let it in the field. Then you can kind of figure out how to let it out. Mm -hmm. But something wants in right now, I think, you know, and it's cracked you open. And you're so, like Richard Rohr again says one of these amazing things, like if we have an omnipotent God, then God also has to be all vulnerable Mm. as well, you know? And so, and Jesus is always showing his wounds, literally. Totally. And so I think that there's, it's a it's a place where and I know you know this, like if you don't learn the lesson now through here, it'll come back again. Yeah. So just allow it, you know? And 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 see. I think I I would say turn it into creativity, whatever how mm-hmm. your soul and the wound knows exactly how, you know? Knows I mean, exactly this is how. part of it. I think talking about it vulnerably on yeah. the podcast has been helpful. And but I I as someone who's gone through breakups, mm-hmm. just want to say like a big namaste bow to you for this moment. And I it's powerful. The city, I'm sure, will feel different. You know, talking, conversations, everything's heightened. But it's also, you can either contract or expand. Yeah. This is going to be a huge growing moment, you know, if you really let it be. Because it's a it's a market. You are literally growing out of an old, of a relationship. And that relationship isn't just to a person. It's an older version of yourself as well. So like Butterfly had a cocoon here. Yeah. Like you were, that relationship taught you whatever it did. I'm sure wonderful, like incredible things. And for whatever reason, for now, you're being asked to like spread wings and and, and be bigger than it. And um, I think I'll honor that, you know, and see what, see what, there are things that simply wouldn't be able to happen while you were still in it, you know, mm-hmm. that are going to be available to you now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like everything we were talking about before. It's, it's, I know that that's true. Like there's the smarter part of me that knows that's true, but there's the other part of me that knows that that's true, but it doesn't make it less annoying, yeah. you know, or less painful. And right. I think my, when I was upstate, my friend who's basically like my second mom, where I brought your book, kept using that analogy of like, I think you're in a cocoon right now and yeah. it's going to be okay, but you're in a cocoon. And the cocoon is dark and scary and not what you're used to. And Time is a really great salve more yeah. than anything, you know? Time is like a wonderful salve. And yeah, give yourself to that and it'll it'll do what it's supposed to do. I believe in you and your heart. Thank you. I want to keep talking. I want to do the quick fire. This is a great time to talk about the sponsors. Not to brag, but I got the most beautiful diffuser. It's an essential oil diffuser that's made of ceramic. It's lovely and it really elevates my mood to be diffusing essential oils. I love this company, Vertruvi. They make these ceramic, beautifully designed essential oil diffusers. Like I said, I have the black, but they also come in white, which is the most popular one. But all of their essential oil products help you to live in a more natural and sophisticated way. Their products are designed to elevate your home and give you more ritual in your day. Everything is 100% pure. You can customize your blend, something to wake you up in the morning or to help you go to sleep. And they are just this great company. I love the founder, Sarah. I'm so happy to be partnering with them. And if you guys haven't gotten a diffuser or have been wanting to try it, this is the one to try because it really elevates your space. It's so chic. I love it. I just, it's a nice ritual to add to my day. And I think you guys would like it too. Use the code let it out for 20% off your order. Again, that's vertruvi.com and use the code let it out to get 20% off. 
This episode is brought to you in part by Emmy's Organics, some of my favorite snacks in the world. I love their founder, Samantha. They are this wonderful company that makes this delicious treat that satisfies a sweet tooth, that satisfies a craving. I'm going to get one right after this. They're made with almond flour and coconut flour, very simple ingredients. They're organic, gluten-free, vegan, grain-free, soy-free. They're great with a cup of coffee or tea, a little dessert. My friend Carolina puts them in her kid's lunch as a treat. You can find them nationwide at Whole Foods or Sprouts or CVS or at emmysorganics.com where you can get 40% off of your first order with the code let it out. Again, that's 40%. That's almost half off of all of the percents at emmysorganics.com with the code let it out. Another thing I really love about this company is they're a certified B Corp, which is considered the highest standard of corporate responsibility. They were founded in a home kitchen by my friend Samantha and her husband Ian, and they started in 2009. And I just love this company. For some reason, I thought it was relevant to tell you they started in 2009. I don't know. Maybe that'll get you to order the fact that they were founded that year. I don't know. It was a recession-ish, maybe. Anyway, get 40% off your first order by going to emmysorganics.com and entering the code LETITOUT at checkout. Thank you, Emmys. I love you guys. Okay, this is the fun part of the podcast. So some of these are longer than others, but I'll I'll warm you up with some easy, fun ones. Perfect. Best thing you've eaten in the last week? Wow. Can we drink drink as well? Sure, but the next question is your favorite drink. So So best thing I've eaten in the last week. I was actually just down in Peru, and we had these amazing meals. They were, um, oh, so here we go. Best thing I ate in the last week. Lima Airport. Peru. <laughs> there is this soup there that was just phenomenal. I mean, like the best soup I've ever had. Hey, hands no one down. on this podcast has ever said airport food. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was a soup. It was um chicken and it was a local Peruvian soup. I couldn't remember the name of it, but it was chicken and yeah. rice and cilantro. It's at the Peruvian airport. There's only one cafe slash restaurant there. Phenomenal. Amazing. Yep. Well, I'm happy to know that when I go to Peru, the airport selection. It's great. <laughs> okay, favorite drink? I'd say golden milk lattes. Mm, you're a turmeric guy. Yep. Favorite part of your life right now? Working on making a TV show. Cool. I can't wait to hear more about that. Travel rituals, travel routines, travel hacks. Any you've been you've just were in Peru, you're here in New York. What do you do when you travel? Digestive enzymes. <laughs> Digestive enzymes, a life straw. For just oh, water, yeah. for sure. That's 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 been a lifesaver for me. Surrender. And boots. Like always have like hiking mm. boots and or like I've never I've just always found myself in sloshy, muddy, different situations. That's a really good practical one. Yeah, totally. And then I think um I would say for travel, like lean just past your edge. But I, I've found that if I've pushed, like I've gone really, really far, it can be sometimes disastrous. Mm-hmm. So Lean into the new culture place, but, um, you know, pushing too hard can be, you're literally out of your, I found myself out of my element. Yeah. Those are good ones. How do you handle stress and anxiety? Rest. Rest is a great one. Rest, exercise. Rest and exercise mm-hmm. are two ones that they, they help handle it for me because they, they allow me to take fresh perspective on it. 
So those are the two ones that I would say. And and food, great diet, 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 exercise, and meditation. What advice would you give to a young illustrator artist? Go for it. The world inside of you, the characters inside of you, the art inside of you. Push yourself, plumb the depths, go to like the furthest reaches and corners of your mind and your imagination, even the dark ones to then find your center and see what wants to come through you. But I would say, please, you know, this is the time to bring, while you're alive is the time to bring those worlds to life. And I'm, you have my permission to go as big and bright and beautiful and full color as possible. Mm, I love that. What are your thoughts on swearing? I heard you talk about another podcast and I'm fascinated about this. Great question. So I did a, I took a, like a 30 day challenge of just not using profanity. Did you use it a lot before? I don't think a lot as much as, but I didn't realize how much I was using it unconsciously until I did Uh that 30 challenge. I was like, whoa, here we are. I'm trying to be a conscious person. There are words that I didn't even realize I was using. (laughs) Yeah. Like just dropping things all the time. And so- I'm really looking at this. Wendell Berry has a great quote. I'm going to try to paraphrase here, but it says, there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Mm. And I can say the same thing about words, but I just found that even the word profanity is to violate or vandalize something that is sacred. And so for me, whether that's silence or someone's favorite thing, like to use the word for me, I just feel like in the very, I have a couple of things. One, if I had like a desert island, like you can only take X amount of words, I just wouldn't bring those with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And the most beautiful, incredible things I've ever seen, I wouldn't use profanity to describe them. I just wouldn't. And then I had this other thing too that I saw where I asked people like, would you ever teach a baby if they're learning their first words, like the F word? And almost anybody who, even people who swear all the time, usually say no. And I go, whatever that is, whatever the answer is, that's, I think, what I would try to want to preserve, you know, mm-hmm. some form of, whether it's innocence or, I don't know, I just don't think, that, I think that state, that word feels a little corruptive to that level of like purity. And again, I don't want to be, there are plenty of people, everyone I know swears, I'm just in a current investigation around it. So when someone says a swear word around you or you're watching content that has it in it, it doesn't make you... I'm not Upset. like, mm, I'm like, I, I know it's a thing of this world, right? But I also find that, let's take the F word for a second. I'm even happy to use it. But if you take the F word for a second, there's just an inherent, feels like an inherent violence in the word, you know? I'm just someone who is trying to be in an exploration of connection and union and mm-hmm. intimacy with people and 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 the world. And that kind of comes in and sort of, those words kind of come in and trump the show sometimes. Yeah, And so... I'm just looking at that, you know? But I know plenty of people who use it and use it as like a a spice that they love. And and you know what? Here's the real the reality too is I've like slammed my or like, you know, knocked off the eggs or my smoothie off the off the shelf and like gone and I've I can I've watched it come come out unconsciously too. <laughs> yeah. It's like a natural reaction. So I'm not like above it or or it's, it's yeah. still inside of me. So it, it won't comes bother you if you hear it from someone you're not judgmental to other people for it. I mean, I I know plenty of people use it. It's just something that I, I mean, again, I'm in an exploration around Mm -hmm. it, but that like, why wouldn't I teach a baby that word specifically? Like almost any other, I mean, almost anything else but profanity, I'd feel comfortable being a first word. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why. And it's just a sound. But one one of the things I did see was like the word ohm, for instance, and this is, I'm not trying to be overly spiritual by any means here, but 
it doesn't have like a beginning or an end. And the swear words seem very percussive, very like short stop, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. and there's just something interesting about that. So yeah. in my exploration of awareness, I'm looking into that. And I just don't feel like I personally find those words to be ones that I want to just be painting with. Mm-hmm. I had a comedian on the podcast a couple of years ago who was talking about not using swear words in his actor in, in general, I think, because there's they're kind of like a cop-out. They're a, there's a precision to language that you don't have to have when you use those and you have to, it forces you to emphasize things and to think of it more, Yeah, which I think is interesting. I find that to be true. And I mm-hmm. also don't want to come across sounding like a guy who's above swear words, but yeah. it's just something that I, I also find my, my inner poet is more committed to finding the most beautiful world yeah. words possible. I've been very interested since hosting this podcast of vocal crutches. Like I have quite a few and some of them I lean into like, like, and I, I um, yeah. And, and sometimes it's okay. And I, I think it's, it's how we speak. And I think as women, especially it's something that we do to connect with each other and, I'm sorry, and you know, I am someone who kind of overly uses those things as as vocal crutches. I just wrote an essay about my over apologizing, which is a whole nother conversation. But anyway, being becoming aware of those because of this podcast has made me become aware of them in life. And I think it's a positive thing generally to just become aware of how we're speaking. <laughs> we're aware of everything, how we're speaking, yeah. doing all of that. Yeah. yeah. So when I sit in the beingness and as aware as I can, that's where that's what sort of helps dictate and transform and refine my habits. Yeah, totally. Okay. This is really just a way to recommend things, mm-hmm. art you're loving, but I usually frame it as you're trapped on a deserted island. You can only bring with you one TV show, one film, one piece of music, one food, one book that you'd never get sick of. Okay. Or these can be like recent favorites, all-time favorites. Great. recommend things. So we're talking about movie, food, book, music? Yeah, I can prompt you. Okay, great. Start with TV show that you love or you've always loved. Um, probably favorite TV show ever, Six Feet Under. Oh, yeah. I've been, I told several times that I should watch that. Film? I'm going to go my favorite film ever is Rudy. Oh, yeah. I love Rudy and I also love Searching for Bobby Fisher. I haven't seen that one. Yep. And then I have to just say because... He's one of my best friends, and I think they're phenomenal. Josh Radner's movies, Happy Thinking More, Please, and Liberal Arts. Well, if people have heard this podcast, they know that I also really enjoy those those movies. But my favorite, I I watch Rudy at least once a year. Cool. Music. If I had to go anything, I'd go Beethoven. If I had to go anything. But Trevor Hall is in in heavy. I know. I listen to Trevor Hall. Jason Mraz are always like in Radner and Lee. They're all Ryan Dillmore, another amazing musician, are all in heavy rotation on my devices. Last meal. The last meal I had? Mm, you oh, can last tell us meal. that. Oh, too, last meal ever. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be kind of really simple. I think I'd go like a Buddha bowl type mm-hmm. thing, some sort of like sweet potato. Good sauce, tahini situation. Exactly, <laughs> with, with, with some amazing mixed greens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, 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 you know, or, or, and I am whole at Cafe Gratitude. Book. I'm going to go with The Great Work of Your Life. Yeah, I, I, I want to By Stephen Cope. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. that. I, I'm going to go just top three and everything. So I, I think After the Ecstasy of the Laundry by Jack Cornfield, And then probably Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. 
What about, you've already mentioned Richard Rohr. You've mentioned a couple of people, a mentor or someone who impacted you. This work of every man has been really impactful recently. It's almost a group of men as peers, men as peers as mentors and reflections and that work. Um, Matthew and Tiersey Engelhart, the owners of Cafe Gratitude, are just lifelong friends, teachers, and mentors. And they have books and, and workshops in there. Um, they always bring me back to both gratitude and my heart. Cool. Greatest lesson on relationships? Be willing to receive as big as you give. Greatest lesson on friendship? Time doesn't matter. And always check in. On family? Honor where you came from. Greatest lesson on spirituality, God, what do you think happens when we die? Be here now. <laughs> yeah, presence. Yeah. Eternal presence. What do you think happens when we die? I can't wait to find out. I do believe in recurrent lives, but I do believe we get an incredible slideshow and you know, momentary looking back and seeing all the people, places, and things, a review. And I believe we're kind of walked through a corridor of light into whatever's next. As you know, this podcast is called Let It Out. So is there anything that you wished I would have asked you that you didn't get to talk about? No, you're a fantastic interviewer. Um, great cadence, great, great um, curiosity. I think why I'm on here is um, I'm looking for new people, places, and things. So I just want to say that to all of your, to your audiences, let's be friends, let's collaborate, you know, reach out. And I'm, I'm looking to create a production studio and be like a Disney or a Jim Henson. So if you know people who have a studio or need people who are, I am highly, highly imaginative and creative. Um, I'm creating a TV show. So I'm looking for spiritual warrior well, collaborators. Here's Hi, yeah. <laughs> I would like to collaborate and be friends more. So yeah, so. <laughs> let it um, out. Let it out. That's what I'm looking for. Is that I'm here, I'm here to play and, and make a more colorful world. Is there anything that not a lot of people know about you that's, that you want to share that would surprise people? I can be like crazy, rigidly disciplined. Like Dang. someone told me, yeah, I got at an astrology reading one time and they said, you have like the chart of a perfect renunciate, really disciplined. Like I can, I can, I can, I'm the guy who like, nope, I'm not going to have the chocolate or the dessert that everyone's having. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm actually, can, I can do that pretty good at like big parties. Like, no, I'm not going to drink. No, I'm not going to do this. I have that, but to a fault. Yeah. So it's, it's, and do you ever find it gets in the way of living life? Sometimes, but I'm more committed to, I've just had my hangovers and all sense of the word that kind of get like, no, I'm not, I don't need to, I don't need to experience that again. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. So we end with a deep breath together, letting one out. You ready? Inhale, exhale, let it out. Uh, Isn't John great? I really enjoy him. Check out his book, The Keeper of Color. Like I said, I love it. I love him. Follow him on all of the social media. Keep in touch. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm liking and learning right now. Okay, this is something that I learned a couple months ago, actually, from a previous podcast guest who had a book launch at ABCV, this restaurant in New York that I also love, Sahara Rose. Do you guys remember her? Ayurvedic queen. 
she had a new book come out and was doing her book launch and she talked about how you can use Ayurveda, so the different doshas, kapha, pitta, vada, in your business and in your work and in your creative life. And so what she does is she has one day a week that's a kapha day, two days a week that are pitta days, so that's like the fiery one. And the Pitta days are meetings, podcasts, admin stuff. And then the Kapha day is rest. That's the like grounded sign or dosha. So she has a rest day and then she has two Vata days. So there's nothing scheduled. Those are her creative days where she's more airy and open. And I loved that. And I want to start, I need more structure in a very unstructured life. And so I'm going to try that. So that's something I've been learning and I will report back on how it goes. And then something I've been liking is just Brene Brown. Brene Brown is so cool. I feel like she's having, she's been having a moment for years and years, but she has this Netflix special out and I haven't actually watched that yet. So again, I'll report back, but a lot of my friends have, and I've been just seeing people talking about it. And I saw her in person the other day. She spoke at The Wing, this place where I work, and work from, work out of. It's a women's co-working space. And she was so lovely and talked about tough conversations and just was great in person as she is on the internet. And I, I really enjoyed that. So Brene Brown is what I'm liking. What I'm learning is more structure and more flow in my week. And I would love your advice on how you're productive and connected during your weeks. So I will talk to you guys next week. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend, share it with someone you think would also like it. Leaving a review on iTunes would be really cool. And if you want to get the show notes emailed to you, make sure you're on my let it out letter list. I can email the show notes right to you. So you have all the links to everything. And it would be so cool if you supported the sponsors. That would be awesome because they make this show possible and I want to be able to keep doing it and keep getting really great guests to do it and doing live episodes. So that would be awesome. Thank you guys for listening and I'll talk to you next week with a brand new episode.